This is the Commission Church Online. Welcome to our podcast. We want to be a church who brings heaven on earth through the word of God and the love of Christ. I pray this week's message blesses you. Uh, how many of you are ready for the word this morning? Amen. Uh, it's going to be awesome. Welcome, like uh, Jerry said. Thank you for being here. It's going to be awesome just to study the word together. What a powerful time of worship. Uh, and we're about to just uh, study the word. Uh, here we, we say that we're a Bible-believing, uh, Bible-based, spirit-filled church, which means not only are we spirit-led, but we're also Bible-based, which means we study the word for what it is. Amen. And uh, currently, we're in a series in the gospel according to Matthew. And uh, we've been in the series for the last 17, not last 17, but we've done 17 parts uh, of it already, and we've taken breaks here and there. And today is part 18. All right. Uh, if you want to access the message notes uh, as we are going through this message, make sure you scan the QR code that's coming up. Uh, if you have the Bible app on your phone, uh, if you don't have the Bible app on your phone, I need to pray for you. Uh, right? No, just kidding. Uh, if you don't have the Bible app, it's a great app to download. Okay. Uh, it's, it comes with devotionals. It comes with uh, you know your ability to read the Word. It puts keeps you on track. So if you have a smartphone, download the Bible app. Uh, but today, we get the opportunity as a church to host our notes Sunday after Sunday on the Bible app, and it's easy to track uh, instead of taking down the notes on your phone as you go on your notepad or whatever. The notes are there, and you can add onto your notes uh, what's already there. So uh, please make sure that you access uh, that feature. Uh, I want to jump in. Uh, again, for those of you joining for us for the first time, welcome. Uh, my name is Ashish. I get to serve here as the lead pastor, and it's a joy uh, just to serve the community here in Plano along with the amazing team that we have here at Commission Church. And if you're new uh, or you're coming back, if this is your second week or uh, you were probably with us sometime in the past and you're coming back, I just want to let you know uh, we love that you're here. And if you're looking for a church community to be a part of, uh, we want to welcome you to come back and worship with us. Uh, Turn your Bibles with me to the Gospel according to Matthew. That's the first book in the New Testament. You can't miss it. Okay, so it's Matthew chapter number five, and we're going to go to verse number 33. And as you guys are turning over there, I have a question for y'all. Has anybody in this room been slapped in your face before? Anybody? Anybody? One, two, thank you for the honest people. Others are embarrassed. Come on. I think almost everybody in here is a kid. Come on, go back in time. Somebody has slapped you, right? It wasn't the most pleasurable feeling, uh, right? Rage probably surrounded that moment. Uh, or, or for some of y'all, I probably need to ask, has anyone been Will Smithed before, right? It's not slap anymore. So that's, that's the new terminology, right? That was wild, right? That was just, man, I, I can't take that out of my memory. Like, I think even Kanye watched that and probably went, oh man, like, that guy lost it. Like, like you know, I, I think that that was pretty, <laughs> what? I'm just being honest here, you know? Man, the other day we were talking about it and we said, we, we use the word Karen a lot. And we have a Karen here, so I feel bad using the word Karen a lot. So we need to change it from Karen to Jada. Okay, I got to stop the road. I, I, I got to stop. I got to stop. I got to stop. All right. Anyone ever slap anyone else before? I know you, okay, one, thank you for, see, this is where the number of hands, like, lessen, okay? I have slapped someone before. Anybody? Come on. This should give you the confidence. This is a time of confession. Okay, we have three people in the room that have slapped. 
I remember slapping somebody before, and the reason was because they uh, dishonored my mother. All right, it was a taxi driver that uh, that that said something to my mom that I didn't like, and I was 14 years old. <laughs> And I said, "How dare you talk to me?" The dude was like really small. Okay, that's why I got, I had the confidence. He was smaller than me. I was 14 and I was a giant. This guy was like minuscule. Real, I was like, "I got this, mom." I went in front of her and I was like, "How dare you?" I slapped him across his face. He slapped me back, and we just went. We were like, <laughs> I'm not happy about that moment, but since then I've repented. But in a moment, we'll talk about slapping. Okay, that's that's something that we're going to talk about in a moment. But Matthew five verse thirty three, we're going to start with promises. I'm going to title my message today: Promises, Revenge, and Loving the Unlovable. Promises, Revenge, and Loving the Unlovable. In Matthew chapter five verses thirty three, Jesus is continuing with the Sermon on the Mount, and he says this again: You have heard that it was said to those of old, "You shall not swear falsely." But shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is His footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great King. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair black or white. Verse thirty-seven. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. I want to pause real quick, and I want to just pray for a moment. Is that okay?、Uh, I'm pretty sure that almost everybody sitting in this room、uh, probably is aware of what happened yesterday at the Allen Outlet Malls. We're, we're、uh, the Allen Outlet Mall. We're we're so broken. We're our hearts are broken. We were at a wedding yesterday,、uh, and 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 we got the news of what had happened, and、uh, just just such a sad travesty. It's such a sad story of of people that innocent lives that were taken. And although we don't know the events that surrounded that, or the stories, or the events that led up to that, today it is our job and our responsibility to pray for our brothers and sisters that are hurting. So I want to pray for those families that have been directly and indirectly impacted by this heinous crime that has been committed right here in our city. Can you close your eyes with me as I pray for the word, as well as for our families? Father, we just thank you, Lord, for、uh, your grace and your love and your mercy. God, even in the most、uh, horrific of times, in the most craziest of times, and in, in in a year like this, when、uh, Lord, we hear bad story after bad story, we hear Lord、uh, uneventful things happen to people around us. Lord, it breaks our heart to see how much of hatred, how much of violence, how much of mental health disorder is around us today, to the point where people feel. Like they can take lives, I know, Lord, that that is never your idea. And Lord, your heart bleeds when your creation takes the life of another one of your creation. And today, Lord, I just pray for all the victims' families, every one of those eight people that died, and the person that's injured. We just pray, God, that Lord, your hand will be upon each one of their families, the fathers, the mothers. The sons, the daughters, the grandparents, the immediate family members, Lord, friends, relatives, Father, as they mourn the loss and 
they, they, they try to wrap their heads around this idea of loss that they're going through. I pray, God, that your hand will be upon them. We thank you, Lord. I pray, God, for this word today. Would you speak to us through your word? We give you praise. We give you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. We're going to start talking about this subject of promises. I want to cover as much as ground as I can today. Like I said, we go through... Uh, passages of the Bible, and we're in Matthew now, and we're going to finish chapter number five. Uh, and next week, we'll get into chapter number six. But in going through chapter number five, the first topic that, that Jesus covers in this sermon is this, is this message about promises. If you go through a lot of the messages that Jesus has been trying to teach through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is using this moment to really debunk some of the teachings of the Pharisees. He's using these moments to debunk some of the teachings of the, the Pharisaical Jewish customs and traditions and uh, wrong teachings that surrounded people's agendas. He is trying to debunk religiosity and its core and its essence because there was so much bad teaching that was going on around that time. So you'd see him prefacing every passage that we're about to read today by saying, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old. Some of the, some of the, the passages that he's referring to is, of course, the Old Testament laws, but there's also some of the laws that were introduced by people, the Pharisees, the people of the law that just made up stuff on the fly. And right now, he starts by talking about promises. He, talk, he talks about oaths and how loosely people were using promises and how loosely people were saying, I promise that I'll do this and I promise I'll do that. People that were taking oaths. And I feel like this message is so relevant today because we are a generation that is so obsessed with promises. We are so obsessed with taking oaths, willingly and consciously and subconsciously, we are people that take oaths and promises every single day of our lives. But not only is it important to take those promises and make those promises and take those oaths and make those oaths, oaths it is important to also live out those promises that you make. Now, I want, just a show of hands, how many of y'all are between the ages of 20 to 30 or 18 to 30? And show of hands, just up in the air, just one, okay. Thank you, thank you guys. Uh, Okay, sounds good. We'll, we'll talk about lying in just... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you wish is what I was going to say. No, I'm just kidding, Ron. Yes, ident you identify. That's the buzzword now. He identifies as an 18-year-old. I'm not going to fight with that. I might get into trouble, so... How many of y'all are 20 to 30 sitting over here? Can I see a show of hands? 20 to 30? Okay. How about 30 to 40? Show of hands. 30 to 40? Okay, good. 40 to 50? Show of hands. All right, 50 and above, show your hand, show of hands. All right, awesome, sounds good, beautiful. Anybody that's young, identify as older? No, nobody wants to take that. The other way around, right? Okay. Now, I, I saw a majority of us lifting up our hands in the 20 to 30 range or the 80 to 30 range. So there's a lot of 80, sorry, the 18 to 30-year-olds or the 30-year-olds to 40-year-olds but the reputation that a lot of 20 and 30-year-olds have that is that we as a generation were very flaky. Somebody say we're flaky. And the Bible simply is saying 
that Jesus is not okay with that. People with good intentions make promises. But I want to remind somebody that people with good character keep those promises. It's not just enough to make promises and be on the loose and say things. Like my wife always says, talk is cheap, Ashish. Talk is cheap. I want to see it done. When you don't keep your word, it is understood that you lose your credibility. We are people that need to be men and women of integrity as Christians and believers. We have to challenge ourselves daily to live by the standard of God in being a man and a woman of integrity. And in particular, we're talking about credibility here. How do people see us? We all struggle with commitment, y'all. We all struggle with commitment. Everyone knows that we are flaky except us. If you struggle with flakiness, if you struggle with credibility, trust me, you want to see the best in yourself. But everybody around you sees the flaky side of you. There are a lot of people that will talk behind your back. They won't say it to your face, but they will see how flaky you are and they will talk behind your back. And if you're here today and if you're a flaky person who makes promises and makes outs and, and stuff like that, in a few seconds, I'm going to talk. I'm going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to talk to each one of you. I want us to come into the presence of God and say, God, I don't want to be that person. God wants us to keep our word. See, a person that doesn't keep their word is in one word, not to sugarcoat it, is called a liar. Someone say liar. See, the tendency for us to lie is ingrained in our DNA. We were born with it. None of us as parents sat, sat, or none of our parents or none of us as parents sit our kids down and say, hey, if something is asked of you or something, somebody asks you something, say the complete opposite. Don't say the truth. You got to make something up. Nobody does that. Like we don't do that as parents. This is important for us to understand. See, this, the Pharisees saw this as an issue back in the day where people were, you know, the people of the law, the people that were religious saw this as an issue and they were like, man, we got to develop a system here where we figure out how to not lie. So what they would do is they would make promises and they would swear and they would make oaths to kind of reinforce their statements. They developed this commitment system where they wanted to show their emphasis on commitment, but they didn't want to swear on God. Because they knew that chances were that they would break that commitment and not only were they sinning, but they were sinning against God and God's name was in the picture, so they didn't want to swear on God. I know that a lot of us that are pretty guilty of that, where we say, swear on God, swear on God. We got to stop doing that. There's anybody that swears, please don't use God's name in vain. I want to I start off with that discourse first. It is not okay to use your Lord God's name in vain. If that is you, I pray that you will repent from your ways and stop using those words. But then what do they do? Then they would promise on, uh, on heaven. They would say, I promise on heaven, or I promise on my mother. I promise on my father. I promise on earth. I promise on the city of Jerusalem. I promise on the hair on my head. Jesus looks at them and says, how, how, how about you don't just promise at all? How about you just don't take an oath? How, how, how about you just don't swear at all? I feel like we can identify with this so much. Like our text lingo. How, how many of y'all know what, what NGL means? Anybody? What is, N, uh, all of you like, what is NGL? Ron's like, I don't know. I'm 18. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what that. Come on, Ron. If you're 18, you need to know what NGL means. 
Okay, we'll go with that. It means not going to lie. Not going to lie. You, you'll preface your text, NGL. Right? What does that mean? Like, do you lie all the other times? Or like, right at that, that moment, you're not going to lie? Oh, you preface. TBH. What's TBH mean, y'all? T- t- to be honest. Or some of y'all do TBH, NGL. Like, like you reemphasize. Like, you need to do that. Or FR. What's FR, y'all? What's for real? Or FRFR. <laughs> you think I'm kidding? I'm not kidding. This is, come on. So if y'all are 18, you need to know this is true. Like we don't promise on earth. We don't promise on heaven, but we feel the need to promise and swear. And, and most of the times, man, if you're saying for real, it's not real. I, like I, I feel like sometimes we're just over-exaggerating. We're making things up. And Jesus is talking to us. If you talk a lot and don't keep your word, people will lose their trust in you. Never promise what you cannot produce. Simply put, don't lie. Like if you RSVP, go to the party. If you said you were going to come, go. Like, like don't flake. Someone say don't flake. If you don't know how to RSVP, RSVP. Come on, somebody. Meryl, our special events coordinator, says, say it again, pastor, because she always tells me, we have a very bad RSVP culture. So I'm preaching today. If you say you're going to turn in your assignment at 12 a.m., turn in your assignment at 12 a.m. Stop procrastinating. Stop making up lies and telling your professor stuff that is all made up and you conjure up all the stuff. Instead of making up these stories, work on your assignment. Some of us need to show up at work on time. Some of us need to show up at church on time. If you said you would do something, do it. Let your reputation be one that someone can trust. Like my, my heart rejoices when I find people, when I come across people, when I meet people regularly who is trustworthy. Man, I look at them like, man, that is uncommon. This is uncommon. In Proverbs 22, in verse 1, the Bible says, Choose a good reputation over great riches. Being held in high esteem is better than silver or gold. You can have all the money you can have in this world. You can do all the things that are good and and awesome, but if you don't have a good reputation, if you don't have a good, like, that is important. And God says it is important. For some of us, man, it's hard for us to keep up our word, and that's you. If you promise something, if you tell somebody that you will do something. I have people all the time, Pastor, I'm I'm always there, Pastor. If if you want me to do, count on me for anything. Bro, you bail. Sorry, I'll be there, I'll be there, I'll be there. And then five minutes before, you you bail. Ten minutes before, you're, you're nowhere to be found. You slept in. You forgot. Come on, am I talking to somebody? It's so important to keep your word. What do you do if you can't keep your word? Be clear with your intentions. Don't commit to something that you cannot deliver. Come on, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to somebody. Like, like, be clear with your intentions. Young people that are listening to me, don't just throw promises out there because you want to be a people pleaser. Because you don't want to disappoint somebody. If you say you'll do something, keep your word. Someone say, keep your word. Young people that are listening to me, if you're dating somebody, use the, the words, I love you. Like, 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 don't meet somebody, date somebody for two times. And be like, I love you so much. 
Cross my heart, slash my no, I, I love you so much. I do. And then you just care, get carried away by the butterflies of the emotions, and then you come to find out that he passed his gas. <laughs> and you soon find out that he doesn't like to watch the same movies that you do. Can we just have honest conversations? And you find out that, that this girl is just like, man, like, like annoying. <laughs> and you thought that she was going to watch basketball with you and she doesn't want anything to do with basketball and, and she hates the fact that you play video games all that and you're like, I said I love you already. And you, you walk up to her and you're like, I'm sorry, like, like can we talk? I don't think this is going to work out. Like, like I, I was with my, my Bible study group, my accountability group, and, and, and I feel like we're unequally yoked like, right now. And, and, and she's looking at you and like, but you promised. But you said that, that you love me. What happened? Like, 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 I gave up everything else for you. I moved cities. Don't do dumb stuff. Young people, please, when you're like... If you say something, learn to keep your word. You know who doesn't keep their words? Kids. God is requiring us to be grown Christian adults that say, if I give you a promise, if I say something, I want to keep my end of the bargain. Husbands and wives, make sure that when you exchange your vows on the day that you get married, for better or for worse, you are committing. That is a promise you make. And when you make those promises, no matter how much of hard times you go through, come out of it and say, there is still a promise that I got to uphold. I got to move on. Be clear with the intentions. If things happen, things happen all the time. Someone say, things happen. If things happen, communicate. Don't flake. Text somebody, call somebody, tell them you're not going to be able to make it. Let people know, hey, there's a genuine reason as to why I can't make it. But with, if you tried, have you tried your best to keep up your end of the bargain? It's a Christian thing to do. Not an adult thing to do. Not a responsible thing to do. Jesus says, keep your promises. But if you can't do that, if you haven't been able to communicate, ask for forgiveness. Like some of us, don't, just don't ignore that. Don't ignore that you did somebody wrong, that you dishonored somebody else's time, that you dishonored somebody else's heart. You need to ask for repentance. You need to repent for what you did and ask them for forgiveness. And Jesus goes on to this next topic. I want to spend some time here. The next topic at verse number 38. I just want to kind of teach this word and then I'll get to some, some practical things. Are you all okay with that? Verse 38. He says, if you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, Jerry, come up. Turn to him the other also. I know you're scared. Yeah, come up. Come, come up here real quick. Verse 40. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. (laughs) 
Hey, Jerry. I love Jerry. Jerry's one of my closest friends. Um, the Bible says, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But he says, if anyone slaps you in the right cheek, turn to him the other also. <laughs> see, you thought, see, see, you thought that he was going to be Chris Rock and I was going to be Will Smith. It's going to be the other way around, okay? Don't slap me. Just, let, let's just, yeah, Lord forgive you. Yeah, please. I know he's been waiting for this moment for a very long time. But I want, you to, yeah, I want you to listen to the Bible, right? The, this is what the Word says. The Word teaches this. It says, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, are you left-handed or right-handed? right-handed. Okay, so how would you slap me on the right cheek? <clears throat> Step, stand right there. Let people see. How would you slap me on the right cheek? With my right hand? Yeah, yeah because you're right-handed. That would be weird if you're like... <laughs> like a miss, right? Like, like, anybody try to do something with your left hand when you're dominant hand, like, and you're like totally like make a fool of yourself? Like, we don't want you to make it, like everyone's watching. Like, how would you slap me with your right hand? On your right cheek. Yeah, on my right cheek. Come like this. Go for it. <laughs> no, but did you see what he did? You would do a backhanded slap. You would do a backhanded slap. Thank you. Appreciate you. That, that, yeah, that's, that's all I wanted. <laughs> it had to be illustrated because you cannot slap somebody. And like I said last week, it was predominantly a culture that was right-handed. I still remember when I was growing up, I had some left-handed tendencies. And my mom said, I will slap that left-handedness out of you. She said, I wanted to make sure that you were, that's all they knew because they thought that right-handedness was, and there's other things about the brown culture that you need to know about the right hand and the left hand, but I'll leave that stuff out. But, 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 they, but, but, but they, 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 they looked at me and said, you will be a right-handed man. And that's how the Middle Eastern culture was. Like if they saw anybody going to left-handed, they were like, we'll teach you how to be a right-handed man. So majority of people were right-handed. So in order to slap somebody on their right cheek, and I'm, I'm going to talk about that, it required you to give them a backhanded slap. Now, I'm going to talk about why that is important in just a second. I want to kind of just preface this part by saying that. But before that, can I tell you something? We have feelings. We are creatures of feelings. We are created in the image of God, and God has feelings. See, having feelings is okay. God created us that way. I don't want us for a second to think that faith and feelings are at odds with each other. If we don't have feelings, we don't have love. Like God created us. He wants us to have feeling, but we're not supposed to be led by our feelings. See, feelings can be positive and negative. We can get hurt in our feelings. We can get bruised in our feelings. We can get disappointed in our feelings. We can get forsaken in our feelings. We can get rejected in our feelings. And yet, we don't need to really show it to anyone because a broken heart cannot be seen. But it's so important for the Christian to have guardrails around your feelings. And this is what Jesus starts talking about and saying, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And what this really is, is Jesus is throwing light 
On the law back in the day, this law that was called lex talionis, which is lex, which stands for law, and talionis, which is for retaliation, literally the law of retaliation. And simply put, this law required that the punishment that was given out to somebody match and correspond to the, the, the actual crime that was committed. And it would match up to modern words such as tit for tat or, or quid pro quo. Like, like these are the terms that we use today, but back in the day, it was eye for an eye. And then he goes on to say, if anyone slaps you in the right cheek, show the other cheek. See, the blow on the right cheek was the most demeaning and grievous form of insult in the ancient Near East. And Jesus specifically, like I brought Jerry up here and I showed you, Jesus specifically mentions the right cheek when he's talking about the backhanded slap. And according to rabbinic law, to hit someone in the back of the hand was twice as insulting as hitting him with the flat of your hand. The backhand meant a calculated attempt. The backhand meant I have a vengeance towards you. The backhand meant I came into this discourse. I came into this discussion. I came into this, 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 this issue that we're having knowing that I was about to do something to you. Which made it even worse because they came in with premeditated anger that turned into sinning through their anger. The word in Greek is rapizo, which should be distinguished from kolafizo, which means to punch or strike with a clenched fist. Now, this is what I want you to understand. See, there's, there's violence and there's insult. Jesus experienced both. The Bible actually says that he was beat with his fists, like the Roman soldiers literally balled up their fists and punched the daylights out of Jesus until he started bleeding. And, 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 and in the same sentence, the Bible says he was slapped as well. Both those words, rapizo and colophizo, and Jesus experienced both. And it was an insult for the Jew who could seek legal satisfaction according to the law of Lex Talionis, that is, he could seek damages. But Jesus says, man, if somebody even comes and gives you a backhanded slap, and oftentimes it was in public, it was in public humiliation because they wanted to make a point that this man or this woman that's being slapped is being disgraced and humiliated. But Jesus says, you have the permission to actually go and take him to court if that happens. But Jesus says, squash it. This is revolutionary to me. When I think about this, this is not a natural response. It's a supernatural response that comes to someone who's controlled by meekness and by gentleness and a spirit that chooses not to respond. I'm going to come into this in just a second, but I want to just go over this verse, these verses. If they want your tunic, that's what the Bible says, give them their coat, your coat as well. Apparently, a creditor back in the day could walk up and they would claim your tunic. If you owed them money and you had nothing else to give, they could come up to you and say, give me your tunic off your back. So what Jesus is saying to the citizens of the kingdom of heaven is that we should be willing to surrender even our valuable outer garment, our coat, even though the plaintiff could not legally take it. He's saying, man, it is your honor to give. 
I know you don't want to give it, and I know that's, that's precious to you. It defines you. It covers you. But even if it covers you and somebody chooses to take that off you, man, I, I have a difficult, I don't know about you, but I have a difficult time wrapping my head around this. And then he says, if you're forced to go one mile, go the second mile. He's not talking about a personal trainer who's trying to push you to take another mile and run and jog and lift weights and say, go, you can do this. No, no, no. He's talking about the Roman soldiers back in the day who had the legal permission to go up to people and say, hey, here's my armor. Here is my weapons. Carry this for me. It's too heavy. Carry this. And the Jews of that day did not have an option by law. By Roman law, it was required that the Jews or the Israelites would take those, the, the, the armor that the Roman soldiers were giving them and they would walk one mile, exactly one mile. That's all the law required them to do. And they would count the steps. They would count the steps. And as soon as they reached the number of steps, they would throw it down in disdain, curse at these Roman soldiers because they met their quota. I want you to listen to me. And Jesus looks at them. It's such a revolutionary message and says, if they tell you to go a second mile, I don't know about that, Jesus. He says, do it. When the man was standing by, when the Roman soldiers looked at the man and said, take the cross of Jesus and carry it, he was bound by the law to do it. But the Bible will say that he went that extra mile. He went that extra step. And then Jesus, like, like again, I say, I'm, I'm going to talk about that just a second here. But then Jesus would go on to finish off this passage and say this. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's what they told him back. That's what the Pharisees said. That's what the law said. You could, you could love your neighbor, twisted the words of God, and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who... Come on, Jesus. Now we're getting too far. Love and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of the Father who's in heaven. Like, can I not be called a son of God unless I learn how to pray for those who put me down? Jesus is like, no, that's what I'm saying. That's what sets apart the Christian from the non-Christian. That's what sets apart the believer from the unbeliever. That's what sets you apart from the heathen. Your ability to look at wrong and not define it by the ways of the world, but yet define it by the cross of Jesus and what Jesus did in the eyes of grace and mercy. Oof. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? He's saying, man, you can love your wife. You can love your kids. They'll love you back. There's nothing you have to gain from that. Like, don't consider that as a badge. Don't say you have love because you love your own family. He's saying it takes more effort and more courage to love the ones that are unlovable. And that's what Jesus is trying to communicate is our mandate is to love the unlovable. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Like, if you go around just greeting people and loving on people that you know and have no regard for the lost and for the people that you don't know, you know, and Jesus is saying, that is not kingdom-minded. 
It's easy for us to go out in the lobby and just talk to people that we know day after day. But I see people in this church who go seeking those who are standing in a corner, that who have nobody talked, who are new to the church, who are people that don't. I see your hearts and I see you pursuing. And when I see you, I'm like, that is the heart of Jesus. It takes easy to talk to, it's, it's very easy to talk to people you know, but it's harder to make people who, who, who you don't know welcome to the to love of Jesus and to allow them to experience what Jesus is all about. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Oof, man. I'm going to give you four things, four things and we're praying close. Is that okay? Let me give you four things. Just based out of this discourse that Jesus is teaching us in this last passage in chapter number five, Jesus is breaking it down for us. And he's saying, look, the followers of Jesus, their reaction is different from the natural response to wrongdoing. How does the Christian, how does the believer respond to wrongs that are done? How do I, as a believer in Jesus Christ, respond to the wrongdoings of the world, to the wrongdoings of my coworkers, to the wrongdoings of my friends, my coworkers, my relatives, my husband, my wife, my kids? How do I exercise patience and love and genuineness in this world that often, and Jesus answers that, and point number one is this. He says, pray for them. He says, pray for them. Anybody pray for your enemies yesterday? Show of hands. One person did. Two person, three, four, five. I love you guys. It's not natural. It doesn't come to us naturally. But Jesus says you're, you're, you're to pray for those who persecute us. Like, how do you pray? And you're like, okay, I can pray. Lord, you know what they did to me. I pray that you take care of them, Lord. And Lord, you, I, I pray that they lose their job, Lord. I pray, God, that you give, that, you give me their job, Lord, and give me that promotion. Like, like, is that the way we pray? Lord, he just cut me off in traffic. Uh, Lord, take care of him. T- take, take care of him. And you're watching him. You're watching. You're, you're like, a wreck is coming. No, that's how you pray. Prayer is completely different than that. Praying is you looking at God and saying, God, I surrender my malice. I, can, I surrender my malicious heart, my selfish heart, what I want to see out of this, my outcome, I surrender it to you, not my will, but your will be done. When you pray for somebody that offended you, you pray for their heart and you pray that they will have a heart of repentance and they will meet Jesus and they will have a heart that truly seeks after God. You don't don't seek vengeance. You don't seek spite. You stand and you ask God to do what he does best. You don't dictate the outcome. Praying is not you telling God what needs to be done. Praying is saying, God, your will, not my will be done. The second thing is that Jesus says is show character. He says, go the extra mile. Go the extra mile. It's the second mile that tests our character. Even when you don't have to do it. Even when you don't have to stay back that extra 15 minutes. When you don't have to stay back that extra 30 minutes or one hour at work. 
When you don't have to drive that 30 minutes to go and see somebody and meet somebody, when it's out of your convenience, when it's out of your comfort zone, when you still decide to say, the Christian in me, the believer in me wants to go that extra mile to love the unlovable. That's what Jesus is saying. For you to be countercultural, for you to have the kingdom of heaven and the culture of heaven imbibed inside of you, you have to fight the system to where you look at it and say, I will go above and beyond to make sure that I communicate the love and the forgiveness of Jesus to every person that I see. The third thing is this look to Jesus. How, how do I go the extra mile, Pastor? How do I pray for those who persecute me, Pastor? The third thing is look to Jesus. Stay quiet and watch God. Can I read a few verses? Let me give this to you from the Bible. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 23. The Bible says, He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threatened revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. It wasn't a, just wait, your time's going to come. How many of you all say, karma's going to come. I want to stop using that word in Jesus' name. That word does not belong to the Christian. Only when you check your credit score. That's it. That's it. Nothing else. We don't believe in karma. That's not what we believe in as believers. We don't believe in that as Christians. God, the, the judge is God. Am I talking to somebody? Like we need to take some stuff out of our vocabulary. I swear on God, take it out of your vocabulary. Karma is going to come to those that did me wrong. Take it out of your vocabulary. That's not what Jesus is asking us to do. He looks at it, hit this thing, and he left the case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. Come on. No, the Christian needs to know that God has got it in his hands. He will take care of it. He is in control of it. And you don't need to fight that battle. Nor threaten revenge. You don't need to threaten anybody. You're going to see the real side of me come out. Do you know who I am? Like, do you know what I can do? Like, God's like, man, I'm not pleased with that. Like, Jesus is like throwing up his, like shrugging his shoulders and like, I'm embarrassed for you. Like, I'm embarrassed to call you a son and daughter at this moment. Like, I've taught you better than that. Like, don't we say this to our kids? Like, that's not how I raised you. And Jesus sometimes is looking down on us and saying, yo, Ashish, that's not how I raised you. That's not my spirit inside of you. And some of us need to come to that realization and say, God, my bad. That's not me. Exodus 14 and verse 14, the Lord will fight for you and you only have to be silent. But Lord, they keep hurting me, Lord. They keep taking and taking and taking away from me, Lord. It feels like they're just, letting, they're just getting away with everything, God. It seems like they're blessed and I don't understand why this is happening, Lord. It doesn't matter. Leave it into the hands of God. There are some things that a human mind will not comprehend. There are some things that your human mind will not grasp. But in all of that, seek to bless the people that curse you. Seek to bless the people that put you down. I remember when I was in school, I was just talking to John about this earlier this week. When I was in school, I was, I was literally put down by my own teachers who had to speak life over me and instead looked at me and said, you will amount to nothing in front of my father. And a parent-teacher meeting looked at me. I was naughty, that, that aside. But he looked at me right into my face and said, nothing, absolutely nothing will come, good will come out of you. So you will not achieve anything in life. 
I still remember the impact that those words had on me. And I promised myself that I would never, ever forget what she did to me. And everything after that, my motivation to, to, to be successful, my motivation to go to college, my motivation to get my master's degree and, 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 and be my, the first person in my family to get two ma- I was like I was like constantly on the go. I was like, I'm going to prove something, prove something. And God looked at me and said, what are you trying to prove? Nobody cares about your two master's degrees. Like nobody cares about the education. You can have more degrees than a thermometer, but that does not matter, Ashish. If your character isn't good, if you haven't gone and, 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 and sought success in the right way and you wanted to do it out of disdain and out of vengeance, it's not from God. Romans 12, 19 to 20, it says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. He says, man, if, you're hung, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. But for, for by doing so, you will heap burning coals over his head. Do not be overcome by evil, by over, but overcome evil with good. Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord, and he will save you. Don't stop loving on your wife. Don't stop loving on your husband because you just don't get along. Don't just stop, quit making coffee for him in the morning because he just didn't have a good conversation with you last night. Jesus is saying the way that you get to his heart is by making two cups of coffee for him in the morning. Now you want coffee? Drink two cups. Here you go. (laughs) Extra love. You want tea? I'll give you masala tea. Here you go. You want eggs for breakfast? Here, eggs and bacon. Come on, somebody. They should be like, man, what is going on? Like, I didn't expect this this morning. You have no idea the amount of repentance, the amount of love that can be reciprocated when you respond with love instead of spite. I got to go on. In Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 22, the Bible says, do not say I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord and he will save you. The ability for us in our pain to look at Jesus is something else. You remember Stephen when he was being stoned? It is beautiful. That passage of scripture, if you read it, it's so beautiful when as he was being stoned, man, the heavens open and he sees this vision and he says, I see God. It's beautiful when he's crying out and saying, God, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Oh, man, come on, somebody. Oh, you want peace? You try doing it the Stephen way where you can look at your transgressors. You can look at the people that put you down. You can look at your aggressors and look at them and say, Lord, I bless them in the name of Jesus. I want nothing but the best for them in the name of Jesus. Lord, forgive them, Lord. They didn't know what they were doing, Lord. They might have known, but Lord, they didn't know. It's okay, Lord. Forgive them, Lord. Your ability to see the eyes of God and the favor of God and the beauty of God becomes so much more manifold when you give it into the hands of God. The last thing I want to leave with you, you guys can get ready, the musicians can get ready to come up. The last thing I want to leave with you is this. Turn retaliation into redemption. Turn retaliation into redemption. This is what the world will tell you. Retaliation is a sign of strength. Retaliation isn't a sign of strength, y'all. It's not. It's a sign of weakness. See, the Bible, I said this last week, the Bible is not referring to abuse. 
If you have been through abuse, if you're going through abuse, run from that. Report that. Come up to us if there's something that we can do about it. It could be in your family. It could be in your marriage. I had this conversation with Amber last week. She, t- she told me, Pastor, I've been a victim of abuse, and if there's anybody in the church that needs to talk to me about abuse, tell them to come and meet me after church. I would love to talk to them. I would love to minister to them. There are stories of people over here that have been through hard times, and that's not what I'm saying. You as a Christian, as a believer, as a woman as, of God, as a child of God, as a man of God, as a child, like you should not put up with any violence in your home, in your personal life. That's not what I'm referring to over here. The Bible isn't referring to abuse. A Christian's response to those who hate them is love. In Proverbs 24 and verse 29, the Bible says this, do not shy. I'll do to him as he has done to me. I'll pay that man back for what he did. Some of us can get so vengeful that we want to do something and we won't rest till we do something and that person holds real estate in your heart and unless and until you execute that vengeance, you will not sit still. And the Holy Spirit is asking me to tell you this morning, there are some people sitting here, you're holding on to stuff from years and years ago and the Holy Spirit is asking me to le- ask you to let go. Release that offender. Release that person who has done wrong to you because it's not for them, it's for you. Like over the last few weeks, we've been talking about this. Ron sent me an email yesterday and he said, it's good to see you guys again. Ron sent me an email and said, man, we're not hearing much messages about repentance and turning from from evil ways and coming back to God. And I was like, amen, because that's what we were talking about for the last three weeks. Repent, repent, come back to God. Say sorry, apologize. There has to be holiness in the house of God because God says, be holy for I am holy. And that's not possible if you and I don't see that we have a problem. Forgiveness is not forgetting hurt and anger. Forgiveness is releasing the demand for justice into the hands of God. Forgiveness is strength. Forgiveness is you looking at this issue and saying, I have no control. Let me ask God to deal with this. The culture of the world screams for justice. Can you guys come and help me on the keys? Uh, The culture of the world screams for justice. Christ screams redemption, y'all. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. There is no exception. You forgive because God has forgiven you. That it starts there. For the Christian, there is no buts, there is no ifs, there is no but they did this, but pastor, the severity of that has no, 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 no. He took it for you. The cross is all the reason you need to extend that grace and that love and that forgiveness. You know, in Genesis, we read of this notorious example of a, of a, this personal revenge by this wicked man called Lamech who's, who arrogantly declared in Genesis chapter number uh, 4 and verse 23 and 24, he says, give heed to my speech for I have killed a man for wounding me and a boy for striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech 70-fold, 77-fold. He's taking pride in the fact that he has taken revenge. And, and if you haven't listened to anything else today, listen up right now. Some of the hardest things to do in life is to offer an olive branch. To say, I'm sorry. To say, 
I know you hurt me, but I want to forgive you. But to contrast Lamech's vindictiveness is, is with the forgiving attitude of Jesus Christ who urges Peter to forgive his brother 70 times 7. We'll go over this in Matthew 18 when we get to this. Maybe next year. I don't know. The pace of where we're going. I don't know when we're going to Matthew 18. But let's talk about it right now. Peter comes up to Jesus. Lord, how do I forgive? Jesus says. And, and he suggests. And he says seven times. These many. Like, he suggests. And we always do that. We have suggestions for God. And God's like. No. And he's like. He's like 70 times seven. He did the quick math. He was like zero times seven. Zero, sometimes four. 490? He was like, Lord, I, I started seven. Like, I thought you would go to 10. Or even 14, Lord, but I, I didn't know that. Like, like, we're okay with addition, God. But the moment you, you said 70 times, like, 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 like the moment he said 70 times seven, he, he was like, Lord, increase our faith. I'm like, I don't think we could do this, Lord. This, this is too much for me. Seven times, maybe. I'm good with three times or even seven times. But when we go from addition to multiplication, Jesus? Anybody guilty of that? You're like, I can't calculate that much, Jesus. I'm, uh, I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm not good at math, Lord. We have to go from addition to multiplication. We need a touch from the Lord. I don't know, Lord. But some of us need to confront the wrong that was done to us. And I want to clarify this. I want to clarify this real quick. You can confront without being confrontational. Listen up. You can confront without being confrontational. Again, John and I were having this conversation. You can confront your emotions. You can confront what you're going through in your heart without being confrontational about what you have. Like, you don't need an audience. You don't need to be stirred up and riled up. What do I mean? Proverbs 19 and 11 says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is in his glory to overlook an offense. We talked about this last week. Oh, they didn't call me back. But good sense would be like, maybe they're busy. Maybe they have kids. Maybe they have family. They have job. They have their work. They're probably working multiple shifts. Some of us can, like, like we can't overlook. Man, I, I can't believe they did that to me. I can't believe, like, reason goes out of the window. Seek to be reconciled. Like, bring up how you were hurt. Like, you, you, you avoid canceling that person from your life when you confront what that person did in your life. Stop sweeping stuff under the rug. Stop ignoring what has happened. Stop ignoring what is happening at present. Focus on the action committed and how it makes you feel. Like, have an audience. If you are able to talk to somebody, have a civil conversation with somebody, confront the issue, not the person. Husbands and wives, when you fight, when y'all have arguments, do not attack the person. Attack the issue. Attack the problem. Tell the person how you feel. Tell the person how they make you feel. That's how you can confront an issue without being confrontational. It's not a you, 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 you. It's a this is how I feel at this moment, and I don't want to feel this way. This is from the devil. This is from the enemy. Let's squash this. Well, you, don't, you don't pull out your sword and go against that person, and you look at the person and ask for permission and say, can I be honest with you? 
without you punishing me? Can I be, can you give me an opportunity to talk to you and have a conversation with you and express what's on my heart and what you've done against me? There's amazing, beautiful reconciliation that can happen when you approach confrontation with gentleness and humility. For a lot of us, that's probably what's lacking. Can you stand up to your feet with me? How about words like, man, you talked about me behind my back and man, that hurt me. Come on. We can all be witness to that. Somebody gossiped against us. You gossiped. You hurt somebody through your words. Like say what you're seeing. Describe what's bothering you. Describe what's affecting you. Leave out the verbal, you know, additional junk that will put them on the defensive. You know, all that pop psych stuff, diagnosis that you come up with, the judgmentalism, the holier-than-I attitude, the sitting on the high horse. Just put that out of the equation. Here's what I'm noticing. It's a simple, straightforward, considered way to be transparent about what's on your mind. When you talk to your wife, when you talk, about it, talk to your husband, tell her, what's going on with you? It's a, hey, man, I, I noticed that. You were awfully quiet today before you left to work. Is there something that I said to offend you? Humility. Someone say humility. Confront. When you confront, it doesn't have to lead to a confrontation where you both just lose, like two people in the argument, two people in the equation, just lose everything. There is a way the Christian should approach confrontation. And today the Holy Spirit is asking me to give you a chance to look at God and say, God, I, I'm sorry, I messed up. It's either to look at the Lord and say, Lord, I have been really terrible at keeping my promises, keeping my oaths, keeping my, keeping my word. I want to change that about myself. I want to become a more trustworthy person. For some others, it's the resentment that you have in your heart. It's probably the revenge that you have. And there's somebody in your heart and you're like, I am going to make sure that that person pays. Letting go. For others, it's loving the unlovable. Loving your enemies, like Jesus said. Those who hate you. Like extending love to them and saying, man, I want to love you unconditionally. And if that's you, we want to pray for you today. We want to just spend a few moments in prayer today. And I'm going to ask Jerry and Mel to help us in prayer over here. Jeff, if you can help out in prayer on this side. If there's anybody that just needs to pray with somebody, we believe that God is moving in this place. Can I talk to somebody? We need to make prayer normal again. We need to make agreeing with someone, standing with someone normal again. On Wednesday, we were here for midweek service and, and the people that showed up and the Holy Spirit told me, just tell people to just go and pray in different parts of the building. And I saw people here at the altar, praying at the altar. And after the service, they came and told me, Pastor, we were led to pray at the altar because we believe that the Holy Spirit is saying, these altars need to be full. The front of the church where people could come and say, God, I need you more in my life. It has to be normalized. I don't care who's looking at me. I don't care who's, I'm not shamed. This is between me and my God. And if there's something that I need to repent for, Repent. You got to say, God, I'm, I'm, I'm a sinful person. We all are sinful. Ask God for forgiveness and no other better place to come stand with somebody, pray with somebody, agree with somebody and say, would you pray with me? We want revival. 
We want God to, to work in our lives. We want God to change. We want God to transform our nation. We want God to add numbers to the church. We want more people to be baptized. We want all of this to happen, but we lack humility. And that's what the Bible says. If my people turn from their wicked ways, humble themselves, come back to me, I will bring revival. Stop praying for change without changing yourself. So as we come into the presence of God, I'm asking, I'm this is my yearning. My heart is crying today. Thank you for listening. We love bringing you the word on so many different platforms. We are so thankful for what God is doing in and through us. We'd love for you to subscribe so you don't miss out. And don't forget to share this message if it has blessed you.